If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? If you don't have one, there's probably one in front of you in the pew. If there's not one there, beg, borrow, and steal. It's important that you follow along in, in a copy of God's Word with what we're saying to make sure that I don't mess up or that I'm not trying to mislead you, not that I do that. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 16 eventually. It's going to take a few minutes longer than usual to get there, but we're going to land in 1 Corinthians 16, so please be there. Now, if I don't miss my guess... A lot of you will be glad that today is the last sermon in this series called Make Space. I think there's probably two reasons for that. One, you're tired of this. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you for being honest. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, um, this has been helpful. And, and we've talked about this clutter on the stage as a visual of what God sees often when he looks at our heart and our lives. He, he sees that our life and our heart and our priorities are so filled with things, not necessarily bad things always. They can be good things, but there's just so much going on that it's not clear where his throne is in our heart and in our life. So this has been a, been a good visual, especially as throughout this series we've talked specifically about one area of clutter that, that we all tend to, uh, to get a little sideways on at times. That's, that's the area of money and material possessions, or we've just called it money and stuff. And so, uh, uh, so we've kind of been holding our breath, waiting till this visual illustration is over. Me too. Uh, just the unfortunate part for you is as you're looking at me, you have to look at it too. As I look at you, I just know it's back there. So I don't, but anyway, um, really that leads to what I think is the second reason why we're all kind of glad the series is coming to an end. And that's because you hate hearing a pastor talk about money. Now, can I get an amen on that? Oh, just a, now, come on. You know, truth be told, I get it. I get it. I understand that we don't like to come to church and hear a pastor tell us we need to give more, even if that's not what the pastor's saying. That's how it comes across. I'm aware of that. And, and I understand that even church guests, like it's really awkward when you come to a church for the first time and the preachers talking about giving money. It's like, oh, here we go again. All the church ever wants is money. And hopefully that's not what you've been hearing from me. Um, and we have had a lot of guests, but um, you know, truth be told, it's as awkward for me to talk about money as it probably is uncomfortable for you to hear about money, especially four weeks in a row, right? Um, but here's the thing. If we're going to be, and we are striving to be, a church that preaches the word of God faithfully, we've got to talk about giving. And if I'm going to be a pastor, and this is my desire, if I'm going to be a pastor who preaches the whole counsel of God, then I've got to be preaching about money. Uh, I, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. That's about 10% of the verses in the Bible. And as you've heard, heard me say other times in this series, when we look at Jesus' own ministry, he spoke more about money and, and possessions. He, he spoke more about that than he spoke about heaven, than he spoke about hell, than he spoke about love. About a third of his parables, a third of the stories he told deal with money or use money to make the point that he was making. This, this is all over scripture and Jesus' own ministry. We've got to deal with money. And, and why is that? 
Why does the Bible talk so much about money and stuff? Well, first of all, because the Bible's about real life. I mean, it's, it's not some holy book meant only for those who live, you know, reclusive lives on mountains somewhere and wear brown tunics and, you know, have a boring life. Um, the Bible deals with real life. But the second reason the Bible talks about money so much is because there's an inextricable link between our wallet or our checkbook and our heart. And consistently throughout Scripture, it's clear that God wants our hearts. And so God understands that it's when he has our wallets, he has our heart. The amount to which he has access to our money and stuff demonstrates the amount of our heart that he has. Jesus said this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The two are linked and they, they work together and they go together. So we've spent the last few weeks talking about how do we declutter our heart and our lives, our, our thoughts, our understanding uh, around this matter of money and stuff. Now, last week's sermon ended with an exhortation that as followers of Christ, we should be giving God our first and our best. We should give God our first and our best. And, and, and perhaps around your lunch table, um, there was conversations like were asked of me last week after church. So does that mean we have to give 10% as a tithe? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so what, what I'd like to do today is kind of pick up where we left off last week. The big idea was we want to give God our first and our best. And I, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into that to say, what does that mean? For those of us who are followers of Christ, what does it mean scripturally, according to the Bible, to give God our first and our best. So um, what we're going to do today is a little different as far as approaching uh, a sermon. We're going uh, to look at what the Bible says from beginning to end, uh, kind of an overview on what God expects in regards to his people giving back to him our first and our best. And so to do that, we're going to start at the very beginning. I heard that's a very good place to start. And thank you for those of you who are awake. And so uh, we're going to see where this practice of giving God, giving back to God our first and our best originates. Uh, we're going to make a few stops in the Old Testament. That's important. Don't think that we have two Bibles. The testimony of the Old Testament is on par the same as the testimony of the New Testament. They don't contradict each other. They work together seamlessly. So we're going to look at a few places in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a few places in the early New Testament. And then we're going to land to 1 Corinthians 16 today to see specifically what the Holy Spirit would say to us about how and why to give God our first and our best. Okay, so it's a little bit different, but hang with me. If you look at the top of your notes, uh, we're going to start with pre-law giving. Pre-law giving isn't the, the giving amount that those who are studying law to become lawyers, like, that's not the amount that they give. I'm bombing it with the jokes today, aren't I? It's horrible. Um, but this is the occurrences of giving, specifically tithing, that we see before God gives his people the law. Um, now, tithe is a technical term, right? It, it, it's a mathematic term that means, does anybody know? 10%. Okay, tithe 
mathematically, technically speaking, means 10%. So when we talk about giving a tithe, we're not talking about the compassion children that your family supports or, or the missionary efforts or works that your family supports. It's a, it's a technical term that means giving back to God 10% of what he's given you. And believe it or not, the tithe as a technical term, shows up in Scripture before God ever commands it. There's, there's two places in pre-law giving. Abram gave and Jacob pledged to give a tithe. Now, you can read the story about Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Um, let me give you a synopsis of the story of Abram in Genesis 14. Abram had gone to, um, to, to intervene for his, his knucklehead nephew Lot, and that meant uh, a skirmish, a battle. Abram wins the battle, uh, and so that means that he, his wealth grows because he plunders the, uh, the villages that, you know, that the battle was with. He takes away the spoils of war. And as he's returning home, he encounters this interesting guy that we don't know a lot about. The, the guy's name is Melchizedek. Uh, Genesis only says that he's king of Salem, although we're not sure where that is, and that he was a priest of the Most High God. So he's not Jewish, but, well, I mean, the Jewish doesn't even exist as an identity yet, but um, somehow, like Abram, Melchizedek is a worshiper of, of God, of Yahweh. And so Abraham does an interesting thing here. <clears throat> After Melchizedek blesses Abraham, or Abram, Abram takes 10% of the plunder and he gives it as a tithe to Melchizedek. And so we, here we have what I think is the, the, the principle beginning that God's people give back to God through those who provide or, or make tangible God's blessing to his people. Uh, Melchizedek was God's conduit of blessing to Abram. Abram said, okay, I'm going to give back to God through you 10% of the plunder. So uh, those are two examples of, of the tithe before the law. But then once uh, God redeems Israel, brings them out of Egypt, he takes Moses and the people to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the law. This is how they're instructed to live. So um, the, the, uh, in the law, Abram's and, and Jacob's example, they're kind of, they're cemented. And there's actually specific instructions put around them. Okay, now, to make it very simple, God's law talks about giving or about tithing um, in at least four places. Let's just real quick do an overview of those. Um, if you want to jot this in your note, Leviticus 27.30 and Numbers 18.21-24. through 24, Those are two places where the people are specifically instructed to give one-tenth of their annual produce. Keep in mind, these are uh, farmers, these are shepherds, you know, they, they raise food and animals for a living. They're instructed to give one-tenth of their annual produce to the priests and the Levites who are the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so the priests and Levites, they don't have land to farm. They don't have animals to keep or to raise. And so in order for them to have food, the necessities of life, uh, God instructs the people to tithe, to give a 10% of their produce to the spiritual leaders. That's how God provided for them. And then jot this one down, Numbers 14, or excuse me, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23. 
So the first is a tithe to the priests and Levites. Here in Deuteronomy, we see a second tithe that's given annually to support the feasts and celebrations that the Jewish people celebrate every year. And if you've ever seen a Jewish calendar, it is chock full of feasts and celebration. I mean, they're they're always celebrating the goodness of God in, in some way or for some reason. And so there's actually like a second 10%, a second tithe that's given to make those celebrations possible. Then write this passage down. Deuteronomy 14, this is just a few verses later, verses 28 and 29. In Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, the instruction is that every third year, the, the produce from that year alone is to be tithed on also. So every third year, you give a 10% of all your, you know, all your produce to the priests and Levites to be used to feed and to help the poor, okay? Now, we've got some people in the room who are better at math than me, but if my math is right, You've got the first tithe for the priests and Levites, that's 10%. You've got the second tithe for the festivals and celebrations, that's 10%, but that makes 20%. And then every third year, you have another 10%, so that's roughly 3%. So the minimal tithe requirement in the Old Testament is 23%. Now, some of you are going, I'm done. He's going to tell me I need to tithe 23%. Just hang with me, okay? Give me the benefit of the doubt here. Let's get through all of Scripture. But 23% seems to be the Old Testament foundation, kind of the starting line. And I say starting line because of this. Write this down, Numbers 15. Uh, really the whole chapter, Numbers 15. There it prescribes other offerings over and above these tithes that the people were instructed to give. These are things like grain offerings and first fruits offerings and drink offerings and burnt offerings and free will offerings. And uh, I, there's an offering for everything, it would seem. So as we look at the law, the Old Testament law, we have this sense that Jews were instructed to give 23% plus other offerings. Okay, remember, what we're doing now is taking an overview of Scripture and what it seems to say about followers of God giving him our first and our best. So let's jump to what Jesus says about giving. Um, I've already mentioned several times that Jesus said a lot about giving. Let's just look at a, a couple of examples. Jot these down. Luke 11 and Matthew 23. Luke 11 and Matthew 23. In those two places, Jesus has conversation with the religious leaders in Israel at the time. And he says to them, Woe to you Pharisees and scribes, because you tithe a 10% of your mint and your dill but your heart is a wicked, nasty mess. He says, you'd have been better to clean up your heart and to keep tithing. So we get this sense from Jesus, not that he says the tithe no, matter, no longer counts, not, hey, I'm here, I'm the fulfillment of the law, no need to tithe anymore. But he says to the religious leaders, it's good to tithe. God wants you to tithe but even more importantly to God is the inside of the cup. What's going on inside your heart? Clean that up and tithe and you'll be good to go. Jot these references down. Luke 12, 33. 
Luke 12, 33, Luke 18, 22, and Luke 19, 8. Jesus has some conversations here where we get the sense that he has a very low bar for wealth and, and personal possessions. Not saying that it's wrong or evil, but that the more important thing for Jesus is helping the poor, helping those who have less than we do, who, um, who have experienced God's blessing on a, you know, a, a significantly different level than we have financially. He sets a low bar for personal wealth and a high bar for helping the poor. So what we see, the, you know, the overview of what Jesus says about money is he affirms the goodness of the tithe. He sets a high bar for giving to the poor. And he says that neither tithing nor giving to the poor matters more. Neither one of those is more important than a heart that's right with God. As we move on from the Gospels, we come to the book of Acts, and we see a great example from the first church, the, you know, the first believers on how they dealt, and re- dealt with and responded to money. There's two specific passages, Acts 2, you can jot these down, Acts 2, 44 through 45, and Acts 4, 32 through 37. We're actually going to read that one together here in a moment. Acts 2, 44 and 45, and then Acts 4, 32 through 37. Just follow along as I read the Acts passage off of the screen. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, what what, uh, Luke does as he writes this here is this next like verse and a half or so becomes a cause-effect relationship. He says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that's the cause, God's grace working among them, that there were no needy persons among them. So the cause is God's grace was at work among them in such a powerful way. The effect is that there's no one who had a need. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now let's be cautious here. We're not looking at socialism or communism in Scripture. This isn't some kind of forced redistribution of wealth scheme. This is Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who were so deeply impacted